Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll be excited for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. You guys respond like Phyllis on a bad night when she's had no sleep. The coffee's not made, and I'm sitting there looking so nice. She still wants nothing to do with me. She has had a bad night. Did you have a bad night last night, David? No. Okay, good deal. You can be my cheering section today because I got a lot of good stuff to say. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bibles to Mark 11, 21 through 26. And while we're headed there, I want to talk to you today about Jesus' faith for families. And we, as believers, leave an inheritance for people. We leave inheritance for our children. Now, you can leave your children a lot of things. You can leave them money. You can leave them cars, homes. You can leave them good stories, nice clothes. You can leave them a lot of different things. But realize that those things are all temporary. And if you leave them everything that your faith, your diligence, your planning, your skills, your ingenuities, and your visions, and all that kind of stuff leave you, then you have really not left them much. Home can be lost in a fire. Cars can be lost in a wreck. Money can disappear by addictions, gambling, uh, just righteous living. It can, you can lose it all in your pocket in a dark alley. So there's not really those temporal things, and really the temporal thing can't do much for your life. Well, it makes it easy. Well, it may make you feel important, but it can't buy you love, even though it could induce people to at least treat you like they love you. Couldn't buy you health. Can't buy you an escape from hell. Can't buy you freedom from torment, discouragement, lost children, broken lives, broken marriage. Can't, can't save any of that. Yet those are the things that we pursue and those are the things we want to leave our children. And it sounds great, but you and I both or at least we should be, a little wiser than just superficial and temporal. Amen. Amen? We understand that there is a kingdom of God. We understand there is life after death. Now, these produce very little life, and they really can't bring life to you of what is important. And life is a relationship with God. It's not in things. It's not in stuff just doesn't do it. Now, your children, at the end of their days, stand as a memorial to your life. I don't know what your children are going to represent to someone else. I, I don't know. But they do stand as a memorial to what you valued in life. And what you value, they will probably value. And what you don't value they probably won't value. Now, you can't make them accept Christ. You can't make them live for Jesus. But you can be free of the blood of their lives. As Paul said in Acts 20, I think it's 26, he said, I am free of the blood of all men. So we can't make people live for God. We can't make them serve Jesus or accept him as a personal savior. But still, your life should have an imprint on your children. Amen. Amen. All right. The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. So if I was going to leave my children something, I would leave them something that guaranteed a return. Wouldn't you, I mean, invest in stocks or something that your children, mutual funds, or whatever it is, that would produce for them on an ongoing basis. And so the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, shall live by faith. Now that is an all-encompassing word, live by faith. It means that 
it will cause you to live free from death and its rule now and in the future produce eternal life. That's what the life of faith does. So instead of giving your sons and daughters money that they could go through because they don't know what to do with it or they could spend or whatever, end up burning down their house, end up wrecking their car. If you gave them faith, if you gave them faith, what would you give them? The potential of life and potential of eternity. But if we don't leave them faith, we could say this, without faith, our children will die. Without faith, our children will be cursed. Without faith, our children will go to hell. Without faith, our children will miss God's purpose. So what do you want to leave your children? You want to leave them faith? Or do you just want to get them through and then let them go on with life and fend for themselves? I don't want that for my family, and I don't think that you want it for your family. So here's my quote of the just shall live by faith. The just shall bring life to their self and to others by the substance of faith. You know, faith can set people free from imprisonments, bondage, addiction. It can do all of that. If you have faith, then you can set people free. You can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You can cast out devils. Amen? And so if you have faith, you can give life to others as well as experience it yourself. Just one thing, not a whole list of things, just one thing, faith. Now let's go to Mark eleven twenty one, and we're going to read down through verse 26. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering them said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And when you stand praying, using your faith, forgive, if any have ought against any, and that your heavenly Father also, which is in heaven, heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. Now, we have to raise our children in a way that they can apply faith, that their life can be astonished at what God can do for them. Peter was astonished that this tree withered up. But Jesus says, you need to have faith in God. One of your uh, sidebars will probably say, or use your faith like God uses his, or have the faith of God. And so Jesus tells us how to use our faith. He doesn't want us just to have it. Could again get an Amen. Listen, having faith and being swallowed up and covered by mountains is not God's plan for your life. Amen. The Bible says this in Psalms 18.30, As for God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord is tried. So now we see something that faith is based upon God's word and that you and I should raise our children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Now, I know as soon as you say that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to teach them not to cuss, not to look at dirty movies, not to do... do, do. So trivial. That's, that, that. I, I, that's not faith. It's the byproduct of faith. Faithless people will do all those things. 
And so as you find yourself doing them, understand that your faith is unraveling. Amen? Amen? But we are to raise our church. Now, the only thing that is perfect in the world is God's Word. Amen. Now, do you and I want to raise our children in the way of God to be able to use their faith to transform their world or do we just want to turn them loose into the world to make their own way? And that's a pretty big question. Because most of us are just interested in them getting out of the house before they do something real stupid. Could have given an amen. Yeah, we, we want our children to be trophies. We don't want them to be arrows. We want them to be trophies of our good parenting. Children are not trophies. They are the property of God. That God has invested you with faith to invest in them. Your children should be a byproduct of your faith life. Let's go to Ephesians 1.3. I know, I know you're already quoting it. But let's look at what it says. And, oh, I said Ephesians 1.3. I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. I'm sorry. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is what? It is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on earth. Next verse. And ye fathers, listen to what it says. Do not provoke your children to wrath. In other words, stop meddling with their emotional transition into adulthood. Stop it. You will break them and you will pervert them and you'll cause anger bitterness, hatred, and even, even a vileness towards you. No child should have that perspective of their parent. Amen. And then it says this, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the who? Lord. Now, now, now let, let's realize one thing. God tells us to raise children not based on your opinion, not based on your attitudes, but based upon the order. The word nurture means set a child in order. Because where there is this confusion, every evil work is going to abound. So God tells us to set in order our children's lives. How do we set them in order? With that which is perfect and that which has been tried. Which is Psalms 18.30 it is the word of the Lord. So do you want your children to have order in their life? Well, I want them to enjoy life. But God is far from being bored. It's just people that get bored of God that fall away from faith. I don't know how you run around with God and, and get bored. Get, you, you, do you? Give me a piece of paper. Here. I need a little bigger one. Give me an eight and a half. Yeah, see this? See this right here? You see this? That's an eight and a half piece of paper. The average man's footprint. Now that eight and a half inch piece of paper has been spawned by dirt that was held in God's hand when he weighed out the mountains. And when that dirt touched God's hand, it was infused with God himself. That's why grass grows. Because remember that God causes the grass to be burned, yet to come alive. It's really life out of death despite man. And then God touches this earth and he throws it back on it. Everything produces after its own kind. So everything about the earth is filled with the nature of God. 
But a believer can stand in an eight and a half by 11 piece of earth. The Bible said, if you'll be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. In that eight and a half inch piece of dirt where God has touched is everything that a man would need in life despite what was going on around him. Now, how do you get bored with a God that can do that? How do you get bored with a God that when you say, God, we want water, he gives you a couple rivers. You eat fish out of the river. I mean, you bathe out of the river. I mean, talk about abundance. I just wanted a cup. (laughs) He gives you, how do you get bored with that? You get bored because you get familiar with the work that God has done in your life, not what you're using faith for him to do in your life. A bored life is a life of faith that has stopped working. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, I'm, I'm, I'm bored in my marriage. Try kissing her. Right. <laughs> it might work. You know, just saying. We have nothing in common. Start kissing. You'll find out what you've got in common. All right, now let's move on. All right. So, it tells us that we are to raise our children set in order. Now, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, And God gave Adam and Eve the ability to replenish and to fill the earth with their seed. When God did that, what do you think Adam and Eve did with their children? Well, there's one naked little baby, another naked little baby, another little. Had one every year. She had about a thousand kids. Talk about a big family. But you know what? He had to teach them the order of God. Amen. Now, not all of them learned it. Cain didn't, but Abel did. Amen. But you have to put order in your children's life. Yes. Could have given an amen. And we do that by three basic ways. Well, four basic ways. In Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Could I have that on the screen? And then you always want to teach your children this. Now, this is not what I'm going to teach you. I've got another place that I'm going, but I'm laying this for a foundation. Every child should know Matthew 6.33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do things God's way. And then all the things that you desire in life will come upon you. Now, most of us are teaching our kids how to get a college representation, which is great. I think education is great. But it's not the answer for your life. It's just not Jesus is your answer. Amen. Amen. You can be as smart as you want to be, but you're still a fool if you don't know God. And then it says this, be careful for nothing. In other words, never teach your children to try to handle life on their own. Stop. Do not let them say they are a self-made man. Teach them that they're not to be anxious or worried about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let their request be known unto God. Teach them that God is their source. Come on, teach them that God is their source. And teens, if you will learn that God is your source, you will experience life the way that no other generation has ever known it. Solomon is just one example. Abraham is just one example. And the list goes on, but they're just single examples. But there is enough in this world to make every man a Solomon. And every man an Abraham. But you got to put God first, seek him, his kingdom, do things the right way, and then you need to make God your provider. And then it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You don't want to go crazy with life? Make God your source. Next verse. For finally, brother, now watch this. Paul says, first make God your source. 
And then he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Make sure your kids' minds are not idle. That they think about... You think that's how Jesus and the Father did? Hey, God, send you a text up. Did you get that? And, and I, I am not downing media. I, I'm not, I think it's great. But when it replaces face-to-face -face conversations, there is a great plan set in motion by the devil. Whenever you can talk to people, without having any fear of repercussions of the emotional damage that you're doing, you need to get a hold of yourself. I mean, you need to get a hold of yourself. Well, I can't just cut them off. Really? Well, then limit it. Well, they'll get mad. Second problem. Why are your children ruling you? The last time I checked, my grandkids don't even know how to put a roll of toilet paper on the roller. Well, because I never taught them, because I never do it neither. But I'm just telling you, they can't even fend for themselves. Anything beyond Pop-Tarts is a problem. Well, well, my kids need protein, so you give them pockets, hot pockets. Look. When was the last time you sat down and asked your kid, what do you want to do? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I think maybe their mother knows. Maybe, maybe not. You know, your kid might be an alien. Or maybe he's being taught like one. You don't know what this thing right here is doing true. to your kids. Very true. Get involved in their life. And then go one more, and it says this. So it tells you how to think. Teach your kids to think. Te you know what? I love cardboard boxes, sticks and stones, and plastic army men. You can entertain yourself for a year until next Christmas when you get a new box. Look, didn't you use your mind Did you ever use your mind to build a fort, fight a war, rescue a, a damsel? What? Did you ever use your, your faith to, you know, believe you could catch the biggest fish in the world? Or what are our children even being programmed to think? And then it says, this things which you have both learned, received, and heard of me, and seen in me do. Right there tells you how you learn. You receive, you got to have input. You hear and you see. And therefore, the God of peace will be with you. So your children are watching you. What are you showing them? In the household that we are in, when you're running up against problems, who is your source? Is it, honey, could you think we could borrow the money from your mother? Never indebt yourself to your in-laws. My word. They move in with you. No. Do you set them down and say, look, this is what we're facing. This is what we're going to do. What are you going to do when they don't have somebody else to lean on? Teach them how to use their faith. Teach them that when they release faith, God does it. And they just simply need to stand and believe. Teacher, don't hide your problems from your kids. Raise them in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Teach them how to do something. You know, most, most people that have, are weak in finances, they never sit down and say, let me tell you why your mom and I are in problems. We want too much. 
Tell them, you have to be a better steward than I was. If not, you're not going to have anything. I tell my grandkids, I say, look, you shouldn't do that because I don't want you to have the life that I had. I don't want you to be miserable because you don't like yourself because you made a wrong choice. Stop right now where you're at. So you want to teach your children how to do life, not just push them through it. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. That's great. All right. Now, I really hate to go. Uh, let's just, I'll just say this. In Genesis 18, 17 through 19, God says this. I know Abraham. He's going to teach his children. He's going to teach them to do my commandments. He's going to teach them how to do justice. And he's going to teach them how to judge everything in life. And then God says this. So since I know Abraham, would I not reveal to him every step that I'm taking? He's headed for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, will I hide that from Abraham? Think of what God thinks of Abraham and his heritage that he's going to deposit himself in. So Abraham teaches his son and his grandsons certain things. Number one, he teaches them the life of obedience. Genesis 18, 21. It teaches that God never sides or repeats a one-sided report. He said, I'm going down to see if the report of Sodom and Gomorrah is right or wrong. Do we raise our children to hear one-sided stories and then repeat it to us? Oh, you ought to heard what so-and-so did today. Don't want to hear it. Why? Because that's your side of the story. Now, I'm just telling you, we probably don't do that. Because we sometimes are, we're like garbage disposals. We just want anything that comes down the pipe. And then, so God doesn't believe one-sided reports. Don't ever teach your children to choose a side when they haven't heard both of them. And don't let them repeat it to you. And then, that God performs his word. Lot's wife will tell you, God is faithful. Don't look back. She did. Teach your children. When God says something, he means what he says. And then you need to quit fibbing, stretching the truth, deceiving, or in Buckeye hillbilly-ish language, Lying to them. You do that one more time, I'm going to whip you. Now, I told you, you do that one more time, I'm going to whip you. Now, I, I, one more time, I tell you, I am not going, I am going to slap your hands, keep your hands out of that candy jar. It's close to supper. So, you know what they believe? You'll never do what you say. You'll never do what you say. And the devil starts gathering information and says, don't worry, we got eight times before you're going to do anything. It's true. So true. No, if you say it, do it. Don't make a declaration unless you are going to fulfill it. Amen. All right? Another thing that God taught him is that God is concerned about coming generations. You may not like this story, but Lot's daughters. God was interested in coming generations. And that was before there was sin in the earth because law brings a knowledge of sin. And then God is in an interested in communicating with people. He stopped and he talked with Abraham. And then God is a rescuer. He went after Lot. Now we can say, oh, Lot, backslid. It doesn't matter what we say. 
God went after him. Amen. And always teach your children, no matter where you are, God is on your tail. And he'll help you. So everything you go through, look for the trace of God. Because he's there. Amen. And God protects people. Not only does he protect people, he cares about the sinner. Teach your children things like that. But that's not what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you today out of Mark 10, 46 through 52. You say, oh my God, I hope the message is shorter than the prelude. Well, it, it might be. In Matthew 10, 46, says this. Oh, you want to know why I don't have a tie today? Because Phyllis isn't here and I didn't want to wear one. All right. So, and it says, no, Mark 10, 46. I can read from there to Mark. Okay, there you go. All right. And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, of people, blind Barnabas, the son of Timaeus, sat by the wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Oh, be of good comfort. They weren't really interested in him being in good comfort. They told him, shut up. Be, be of a good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, arose and came to Jesus. And when Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and follow Jesus in the way. Isn't that a great story? You know who blind Barnabas is? He is the son of Timaeus. You know who Timaeus was? Another blind beggar. Matthew Henry's commentary, which I'm not a commentary guy, I just did research, and he says that historically is believed that blind Barnabas was the son of another blind man. The son of another blind man. Why was blind Barnabas the son of a blind man? Because blindness came and Timaeus did nothing about it. Now, the Bible says in Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 10, on down through, I believe, it's like 20, the Pharisee stands up and says, look, if there's anybody sick in here, don't, don't come on the Sabbath day, but come any other six days of the week and come and be healed. Why was Timaeus blind? Because he did nothing with God. And so, the blindness became an inheritance. Blind Bartimaeus inherited blindness from Timaeus. Now, I don't know if it was deterioration of the retina. I don't know if it was cataract. I don't know if it was something that ran in the family. I know it's something that ran in the family, but... Today, many of us are leaving an inheritance to our children because we, like Timaeus, are doing nothing. Not condemning you, I'm awakening you. See, some of us 
are dealing with addictions, anger, bad marriages, women that seem to live in menopause, and men who think that midlife crisis is a way of life. And so what is happening is that which you received and seen and heard from me, now you do. So they all adapt to what they see their parents doing. And other than change, using our faith to eradicate the rule of the old man, we think it's okay for us to defile our children because we won't go to God and deal with it. Have you ever been to the doctor's office lately? Used to just say, oh, come on in, Pete. Come in and see you. Now you go in there. They hand you this sheet of paper. Do you have any of these things? Did your mom, did your uncle, did your aunt, did your grandmother, your father, anybody you know have one of these? Uh, because it probably got on you. Now, you know why all these things are there? Because nobody has dealt with it. We just keep passing it on. So pretty soon, oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my mom had, a, had sugar one time. He didn't ask you in your coffee. He's asking you, did she ever have sugar diabetes? But since you don't even know, you say, yeah, she had sugar. Then he does the test, and lo and behold, I think you may have sugar. Really? Yes. You ought to take this medicine. Oh, okay. You have just started a tree of cursing for your children because you tell people. And what you say is what you reap. What you plan is what you take in. So we got all these things. Did your grandmother have it? I don't know. She's dead. Yeah, but did, did, did she have it? I said, I don't know. She's old as dirt. She stunk like dirt. I didn't want to be around her. She's old. So many wrinkles. If you touch her, you lost your finger. We are being taught, and we, generations ago, due to the institution of faith in medicine over God, we have created a generation plagued with drug addiction in hopeless remedy. There is no remedy that a drug is going to bring you to an end to. They say, well, well, we'll try this one. Then they add another one. Then they add another Before you, it takes you a wagon to get home from the doctors. What was wrong? Well, they said I was depressed. So they gave me this pill. Then they said I'd be impotent. So they gave me this pill. Then they told me to gain weight. So they gave me this pill. What are you now? Well, you might, it might cause depression. I, I thought impotency and fatness did cause depression. I mean, in my house they did. Thing of it is, Phyllis took the impotence pills and she got happy and I got sad. Now, what I want you to realize is this. Whatever you're dealing with right now, you can shove it onto your children and you can raise them in the admonition and nurture of the world. And you can take their heritage of faith and hand them a baton of faithlessness. That doesn't mean that if you're sick and fighting disease or anything like that, that you're faithless. It's just that you have not used it. You're in the synagogue. You just don't respond to God's invitation. But wherever you are, 
Your children are looking at how you are handling your bondages. Because your struggle with sickness and disease or addictions or anger or all that kind of stuff is ultimately your children's bondage. Let me say that again. Your personal struggle right now where you're at will become your children's inherited bondage. I'm, listen, I'm not condemning you. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. I'm waking you up. Your children deserve better than that. They are the property of God. Listen, God never gave them to you without him being fully persuaded that the faith that he gave you could turn everything around and cause them to know him and to walk with him. Amen. That's what God knows. There's nothing happening to your children that God has not already foreseen and empowered you with faith to cause to be victorious. And there's nothing you're going through. I don't care what the doctors say. I do not care. Don't, don't. I don't. Because where you're at is not the end of the story. Amen. Where you're at begins the story of faith, the inheritance that you're going to hand off to your children. Amen. That's what where you are begins. No matter how long you've been dealing with it, it doesn't matter. Now, we are the lights of the world. What type of light do we shine? You say, we're just like you, but we give money to God. No. We aren't like them. Nothing wrong with them. We used to be like them. But now, we are bought with a price. But now, we're not our own. But now, we have faith. Come on. Now, we understand no tribulation, persecution, things that are, things that are not. Things of death, life, angels, principalities, power. They're not going to have an effect on us. But we do not want to stack the deck against our children. My father died of a heart attack at the age of 45. Ever since I've been saved, I said, my father does not have heart problems. He gives new hearts all the time. I will never have a heart attack. Ain't going to do it. Not going to die of heart trouble. Not going to do it. And I got saved earlier than most of my family. But, Charlie, help me. Uh, my sister Doreen, heart disease. Uh, Paul, Scott, Jim, who? Jack. Gary's the only one don't have heart problems. Yeah, he's got prison problems. And Angie doesn't. Now think of that. I come from a family of 14. I don't have heart problems. You say, but you had a stroke. I sure did. And after they did examination on my heart, they traced everything through it. They found one little thing right there, and they said, you got like a little bump right there in your vein. They said, but we wouldn't even waste a tip to make that thing clean to get to it. They said, there's nothing in you that you should have had a stroke. And it wasn't anything in me. It was a devil outside of me. Amen. I had a stroke one day, and a, a day later, I walked out and went deer hunting. They sent David to make sure. Make sure he don't fall out of the tree or something. I said, stick with me, David. So we went deer hunting. Next day, I preached to like 60 or 70 pastors for eight hours. Now, what I'm telling you is this. You can turn around. My grandkids and my daughter are not having heart problems because... I didn't leave them a heart problem. Now, you start right where you're at. I don't care if, I don't care what's wrong with you. 
I do not care. You start right where you're at. The Bible says that God's word is like a medicine. Proverbs, the fourth chapter. And you start applying that. You start speaking the word. You let your kids see it. You let them hear it. You give them a list of it. And you get their faith involved with your faith. Why? Because if they don't help get taken care of, they're going to have it. They're going to have it. And so you start giving them your faith. And you start using yours. Let's not be like old selfish Timaeus that let his kid be imprisoned by hopelessness, begging a target for pity, hearing everybody else's dreams and life go on around him and walk by him and him sitting there depending on their leftovers of life, eating the dust of their dreams? No. Bartimaeus did not deserve that. And Timaeus should have had enough faith about him that he got up and encountered God and was made whole. Let's not be of the pack that accepts whatever comes down the road. Well, you know, Mama had it and Grandpa had it. You know, you're just like them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, may God cut. No, I can't say that. Catch your tongue. Catch your tongue. Let's set our children free. Amen. What a blessing it would have been if Timaeus would have walked up to Barnabas and said, Son, I brought your inheritance. And he ripped the garment off and said, God has given me sight. You know what? Barnabas would have been healed because the tree, the root of the tree, had been cursed. Brother Bud and I was in Russia. And they were like, they brought a whole school of deaf and dumb people, 25 or 27 of them. And so I went to pray for the first, and, you know, and they're signing to me. So pretty soon I discover this is a mother. No, no, this is a daughter to the mother, to the grandmother. So I just said, I'm going to pray for you and all the rest of them be set free. So I prayed for that. Prayed for that woman. Whoop! Daughter got it. Whoop! Granddaughter got it. Whole family started talking in here. Why? Because their inheritance had changed. What are you leaving your children? A plague of anger? Joylessness? Hatefulness? Division? Backbiting? What, what are you leaving? And sickness? The inability to keep poverty at bay because we lack temperance? We haven't taught them finances? Whatever it is, you have faith. And faith is the victory that will produce for you right here in this life. Let's give them the inheritance of faith and its benefits. Amen. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand your feet. Praise God. Now remember, don't get discouraged and don't, no, no, just awaken right where you're at. And be like Samson. When God says, the Philistines are up on you, wake up. Don't sleep in. It's not time to hit the snooze. Time to get up. Come on, you Samsons. Hallelujah. You are greater than the enemy that is at your door. And God give you children to make sure that they finish the race and serve him. Let God know your name. I know him. I know her. She will raise her children. In my commandments, my justice, and my judgments. 
every head bowed. Father, God, today, hallelujah, how we thank you for awakening us, awakening us, God. That God, we are not going to create a whole line of Barnabases in our life. God, but we are going to be the liberators, the liberators, God. Father, we're going to use our faith for others. Just like Jesus walked down that road knowing, I'm going to turn this curse around for Bartimaeus. I'm sure Bartimaeus worried about his children. God, let them not be blind. God, don't let them be blind. God, let them not, let them not have to take in dirt and dust all of their lives begging for the leftovers of life from somebody else. God, I want to bless my children. Hallelujah. Now, God, thank you. Thank you for awakening us. God, this is the hour. The enemy is upon us in a hundred different ways. But God, let us be awakened by your word. Oh God, hallelujah. How you trust us. How you trust us. To leave an inheritance of faith in the coming generations. Thank you, God, for believing in us. And God, we do believe in you. And today, God, will awake. Today, God, will shake ourselves. Today, God, will break the weak, the powerless wrappings off of our hands. And God, we will slay our enemies that they will know there is a God in the land. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father.